up my mic a hello, little hello. bit. <laughs> I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Hello. Hello. That was my attempt at not stealing your intro. <laughs> Just going, woohoo. All right. All right. I'm looking at the board trying to figure out when this case is coming out. This case is coming out this week. We're not ahead. Oh, I hate that. That makes me anxious. And that's my fault because I was sick and we had to miss a week of recording. So it's okay. Uh, it was my fault. But, um, you know, blame the virus. Yeah. Yeah. Just be glad it wasn't COVID. Yeah, it was not. I had narrowly missed having COVID. So, yeah. Good. Well, thank you to... The people who watched our live stream, shout out to Vicky in Yorkshire in the UK. And Anonymous. And Anonymous, who never came forward. That's okay. We know someone was on there. Thank you. Yes. Thank for watching, you. watching. Even if you didn't feel comfortable. That's fine. I watch live streams, but I never talk either. So I yeah, get it. Yeah. Same. Um, but I am going to come up with an elaborate backstory for you. For me? No, for Anonymous. Oh, okay. They're a forensic anthropologist. And okay. they have a crush on one of the skeletons in their lab. Oh, okay. But they won't do anything because it's a skeleton. But it's just like. Because they've made up a backstory. Yeah. About yeah. said skeleton. Right. Okay. So if you don't want this to be a reality, tell us who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a new patreon we do Remember. get out of my head i was just looking at that to many to is that how you would pronounce that i would say to many well to many reach out to us tell us yes. how to pronounce your name my name obviously is spelled different and people mispronounce it all the time so i really would like to know yes tell us please how to pronounce your names and if we ever give you a shout out and we say your name wrong also please tell us and we will correct it Absolutely, because I get everything. I get Elijah, Alicia. Mm -hmm. I get everything but Alicia. Basically. I hate when people mispronounce your name, too. I also hate when people message us and they spell your name wrong. Well, not like listeners, but when we'll have like people reach out to us professionally and they spell your name wrong. And I'm like, you didn't look at anything. Oh, professionally. Yeah, yeah professionally. You should double check that if you're professional. Right. But I don't take offense to anything anymore. Like, whatever except sometimes like elijah gets me be actually funny story the thing that bothers me about that is the place where i get elijah the most is chick-fil-a <laughs> yeah and i'm like true. sir ma'am you you should know this name yes it's in the bible you should know that name yeah and this is not that i just don't even see how they get elijah anyway anyway all right, what do you have for us today? Well, today I have a case that I am obsessed with. Like, this has been consuming my brain for at least two and a half weeks now. I'm working on this one for a long time. We have part one of Jody Arias and Travis Alexander. So, and this is just oh, quality man. entertainment. It, oh, man. <laughs> it is just like... I it just really is. It's got everything you need for a quality. I mean, Nancy Grace loved this, so you know it's got drama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, you know it. It's a really it's a really interesting one. Um, I learned a lot while researching that I didn't know previously. Okay, and this is a case that I had paid attention to, so I was surprised at how much I didn't know. 
But here is your very big disclaimer. Yes. This is an 18 and up episode. And part two will also be 18 and up. Please. There are very frank discussions of adult intimacy. So if you listen with your kids or you are like me and you listened with your mother when you were under the age of 18, we listen to true crime a lot together. Uh, maybe don't on this one. <laughs> cool. Cool. I already tell my kids not to listen. Right. <laughs> not that they really want to hear their mother talking true crime, but yeah. I'm like, it's just all a bit much. Yeah, it's a lot. So this one is interesting, but that's what makes it so infamous in, especially yeah. in the United States. It's, I mean, it's like a soap opera. People couldn't look away. Yeah. It rivaled Casey Anthony's case for yeah. media attention and it, you'll see why. And I will say, I think you'll really see why it was so popular in the media in part two when we talk about the trial. Okay. But we got to get all that juicy background details first, you know? Gotcha. The other little disclaimer I'm going to say is that I don't ever want it to sound like I am bashing a victim or anything like that. I just want it to be a very well-rounded story and well-rounded reporting and back to you. And there are lots of times in this case where I hear it on other shows or what have you where I don't feel like the full story is being given. It's being played out as he was perfect, she was crazy. Yeah. And there's more to it than that, you know? Yeah. It's an it's a complicated interpersonal relationship. Nobody deserves what happened to Travis. Absolutely nobody does. Yeah. You know, Jody was absolutely off the rails, but that doesn't mean he was perfect. No, exactly. And I'm not going to I'm not going to cut out the negative things he did for the sake of Yeah. You know, that. No, I get I get what you're saying. So, I feel that way often, you know. Yeah. There's very few people in this world that are that perfect right that did everything perfectly and it doesn't mean that they deserve whatever happens right. to them in these horrific crimes but they're human right they make mistakes they screw up they do wrong things mm -hmm. we all do exactly you know? I mean, we're, what we're talking about is an incredibly toxic relationship and relationships are toxic all the time and they don't end in this level of violence mm -hmm. so there's no excuse for that but anyway that was just my little I'm going to tell you, tell you how I found it. There we go. All right. So starting with Travis Alexander, before there was media attention and phone sex played in court, there was baby Trav, baby T-Dog. Baby T-Dog. <laughs> oh, T-Dog comes up. <laughs> okay. You'll get very close with T-Dog. All righty. Travis was born into a family of eight with meth-addicted parents in an abusive household. Oh. It was, spoiler alert, not a great childhood. He had a very dirty house. He developed a phobia of cockroaches because he kept waking up covered in bugs. Ugh. His mother and father were abusive and harmful. His mother a little bit more so on the physical front. It, it was a really bad situation for yeah. everybody. But Travis and his siblings were very lucky to have a kind and loving grandmother who took them in. Okay. I was going to say, did they actually manage to raise these kids entirely? Because I would think they'd get taken away. No, no. And, and, you know, I'm not sure if grandma took all the kids or when grandma took the kids, but. Gotcha. It was with his grandmother that he found solace and with her that he was taught the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
and he found himself really latching on to their community, stability, and practices. As he grew into adulthood, he fully converted to Mormonism. He was really dedicated to his Mormon faith, but by far the area that he struggled with most was purity. He was a young guy in his 20s, and he wanted to go to Bone Town. <laughs> to Bone Town. Um, and he did. Oh to be quite honest with you, the man was landpipe. <laughs> he repeatedly was punished and temporarily banned from Temple when he would confess to those particular sins. As an adult, Travis was doing well until he found himself in a little bit of debt. And in order to get out of this, he was introduced to something called prepaid legal. Prepaid legal is a pyramid scheme. It's an MLM. It, yeah. <laughs> but um, Travis was really good at it. He was charismatic. He was funny. He had that Mormon shiny persona. But, and, yeah, that's the only way he make money in an MLM. <laughs> yeah, but he was he made it work for him. He was one yeah. of the few people that had really good success with it. He did a lot of prepaid legal engagements and speaking and motivational speaking mm-hmm. and um, he went to a lot of conferences and he made he he did really well for himself. Prepaid legal is uh, basically <laughs> if I was trying to join prepaid legal, I would pay two hundred and fifty dollars and then I would be given the ability to sell insurance, which would ensure that the buyer had an attorney when they needed it. It was basically like. Yeah. Pay us some money for an insurance policy to have somebody on retainer rather than just having somebody on retainer. Yeah. So, you know. He sold an insurance policy to Barney, the guy who played Barney. Oh. Yeah. Pretty big get, especially. Interesting. Yeah. I know. Why does Barney need an attorney? (laughs) I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Have a few ideas. So he regularly went to these conferences and he was invited to a primo elite only black and gold ball for the best in prepaid legal. We're going to leave Travis here for now. Okay. Okay. Jody Arias had quite the opposite childhood that Travis did. She was raised in a very white picket fence house and no one would ever have reason to believe that she would become what she did until she was a teenager. That's when signs of her extremism sort of started to pop up. And even still then, people didn't really, you couldn't tell how bad this was going to go. Like, yeah, she was still a teenager. You're kind of thinking like, okay, this is just her acting out or, you know, right. et cetera. They were like, okay, she's rebelling. She just had very extreme reactions to things. And when things didn't go her way, she would regularly threaten suicide. Um, mm. Her parents unfortunately did react with violence and corporal punishment and things really came to a head when she was caught at 14 growing pot at the house okay so her parents called the police as punishment and after that she really distanced herself from them completely and she began her quest for love with a man who worked at a gas station and he fancied himself a vampire <laughs> or a vampire hunter there, there's a little bit of you know, discretion as to what he was, but something with vampires. Gas station goth is all I'm hearing. Gas station goth. Yeah. So. Oh, boy. Okay. They had their ups and downs, and eventually when he decided he wanted to move to Sacramento to either be a part of a larger group of vampires or to hunt vampires, I couldn't tell you which one, they broke up. And unfortunately... 
in response to that, Jody almost immediately started dating his roommate. His name was Matt. And now Matt was a very spiritual person and Jody got pulled into his religious spiritual ways immediately. Like okay. latched right onto that. Because she's young and impressionable. She's like 17 yeah. at this point. She had moved out of her parents' house and dropped out of high school to live with gas station goth. And he was unemployed when he moved to Sacramento. And so now she's living with Matt. And, you know, it's just a lot. So they're they're like really, they're really in it. <laughs> I mean, like. Don't look on your face <laughs> when you said that. She has a journal. And so eventually it comes out and we can read a lot of it. Gotcha. And you see later how this, you know how new agey people talk? Yes. Like, we're advanced beings. Yeah. You can see a lot of that sticks with her. So um, the two of them moved to Southern California looking for work and looking to, you know, expand their minds. And they are interviewed by a man named Daryl Brewer, who was a manager at a spa retreat type of joint. Okay. Jody was hired immediately, and Matt was hired a few days later. They were able to live on site here and work. Um, but unfortunately, Matt and Jody just fell out of love. So, you know, it's really, like I said, it was interesting to read her journal about this time in her life. Like, they were friends and they were advanced beings that needed to help each other advance. But she fell out of love with him, but he was out of love first. It, it's just such interesting discourse. Her stream of consciousness is fascinating. Okay. I don't know what to say to that. To be respectful of that group of people, <laughs> I will do my best yeah. not to laugh too much. Listen, I the point that I'm bringing up is that she has a habit of morphing into whoever she's dating. Um, yeah, I caught that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth noting that I've known people who do this who don't end up becoming horrific killers. So, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's not necessarily like a sign, but it is just it's interesting the levels of extreme that she goes to right. with her next boyfriend, who happens to be her manager, Daryl Brewer. Um. So apparently. OK, this what? Now, he, when they start dating, he does step out of his management position. He he changes jobs so that he's not directly her supervisor. But he is 42. <sighs> and, uh... Well, I, I just also get the ick from, like, go out and meet some new people. No, she... Why are you just taking up with, like... It is, it is proximity next, is important yeah. to her. Ugh. Okay. Right. It's just fascinating, especially when we realize it's just a weird thing because she ends up with somebody and they end up long distance. It's really strange. We'll get into it. Okay. But yes, at this point in her life, proximity is what matters. And so when her and Matt break it off, and they're not necessarily breaking it off, they're still hooking up regularly. But they're just not. But they're not dating. Yeah. Okay. So she starts dating Daryl and... Like I said, he was 42. He was a recent divorcee or divorcee, however you want to. I think. I think divorcee is. Divorcee is a female. Divorcee. Divorcee. Is a male. Is a male, I'm thinking. Um, so Jody starts dating Daryl Brewer because he's right in front of her <laughs> as her manager. And they they have a level of seriousness in their relationship, okay? 
like I've mentioned, he's 42. He's recently divorced. And the two in January 2003, both of them attend a San Francisco 49ers game. Okay? Okay. After that game, they spend the night together, and the two fall in love. Like, right then, they fall in love. I don't... (laughs) That tends... (laughs) Maybe. to a football game. You know, with the face paint, it was really doing it for her. Oh. Anyway. (laughs) Brewer describes Jody's sexual appetite as aggressive and enthusiastic. They were both very comfortable with their intimacy, and on the witness stand later, Dale would recall that they had anal sex at least once, but probably more than once. He couldn't remember if they did it more than once. And I think that's something you would remember doing more than once. So probably, you probably did, you just don't want to say that. Yeah. However, despite this... Daryl really struggled with his divorce. He and his ex-wife had a three-year-old son, and that's just a really hard time in somebody's life. And he he moved closer to his ex-wife to try and co-parent and to just be closer. And he talked about her a lot. And in response to this, Jody found herself morphing into his ex-wife. Mm, that's interesting. Yep. She got a boob job. Oh, okay. Which... I don't know if Jody ever said this, but it it made her physically look a little bit more like his ex-wife. Yeah. And she even started dyeing her hair blonde. Love that I say even, like that's the more intense thing, but definitely the boob job is the most intense, but still. Y- yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. I think for me, color of hair is a big thing. It is. And like with women, our our hair is such an important part of who we are and how we express ourselves. And so... Yeah. You know, not everybody feels that way, but I feel that way. A lot of women feel that mm-hmm. way, I th- I think. You have um, a bad haircut, it ruins your life for a while because it's just part of who you are. And it definitely, I mean, I I can only speak for myself, but I have gotten some really strong reactions <laughs> from people I've dated and even my husband when I've changed my hair. Yeah, it changes a lot about you. So... And she was an, like a, a dark brunette, and so now she is like a bleach blonde. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty drastic change. Yep. So while all of this is going on, Travis has two long-term girlfriends, both of which don't work out for various reasons. Um, but with one of his girlfriends, she got relocated with her job to Arizona. And he ended up moving to Arizona too, but they were living in different cities. So they're in the same state different cities he moved to mesa arizona which is like mormon city it's it at the time i don't know about now i should have checked at the time was primarily run by mormon politicians and even though the population of mormons was only about 12 to 15 percent there they still ran a majority of the town okay so she was living in phoenix his ex-girlfriend right And he's living in Mesa, and they were doing long distance and commuting back and forth for a little while, and they eventually broke up. Jody and Daryl bought a house in Southern California. They bought it with no down payment right before the housing crash. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of struggling financially. Daryl ended up somehow needing a new job. He was unemployed. They were splitting everything 50-50, so it was tight. And at work one day, she was... She was waitressing to kind of fill the gap. Neither of them were working at the spa. I don't know why. Um, But anyway, she was at work one day and somebody showed her a prepaid legal tape. So 
she figured I'll just like join this and try and earn some extra cash. Gotcha. It was September of 2006 outside of one of the prepaid legal conferences that Jody was introduced to Travis Alexander. Boom. Love at first sight. Kind of. Yeah. Meh. That prepaid legal. That prepaid legal. That Utah. Way hotter than a football game. <laughs> oh, so much hotter. There's like way less face paint. More suits. More Mormons. <laughs> more Mormons. Yeah. So the two met and um, it was rumored that, I mean, it's true that on the first night that they met, they ended up staying up until like four o'clock in the morning, talking and getting to know each other. It's rumored that they may have even um, had oral sex the first night that they were together. But that's like the hot topic story. When you look into it a little bit closer, a lot of people who were actually there say, no, it was probably the next night or so before anything like that happened. Travis knew she was dating Daryl. Like they talked about her boyfriend and her situation. And um, I, I do think that they waited a little bit longer before they started committing adultery. A whole 24 hours. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they really did mesh. A few weeks later, Jody started distancing herself from Daryl and she sat him down after her talk with Travis and said that she wanted to pursue marriage and she wanted to pursue having kids and he wasn't interested in those things at this point in his life and so they kind of went their separate ways she stopped paying her half of the expenses and the house went into foreclosure so her and travis started dating um travis was really he really liked her when he first met her he told his friends like oh my gosh she's so sweet like you'd really like her he said a lot of really positive stuff right off the bat um, and so they started a long-distance relationship. Jody was in California at the time. He was still in Arizona. Shortly after they started seeing each other, Travis had some Mormon missionaries sent to her home, where she was currently living. Okay. Somehow she had already begun learning about the Mormon faith, probably because prepaid legal was a very Mormon community. Right. But at the time, she had, you know, just as, just as she had been with Matt, she really leaned into Mormonism because of Travis. Yeah. She has to study for her part. Yes. So they started meeting up at hotels, but most of the time they would meet up at a friend's house who was kind of halfway between the two or like on the way to one of, you know? Yeah. They also road tripped together a lot. They were starting to pick destinations off of a list from a book called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And they talked a lot about their newfound common ground in religion, you know, you know, from the outside looking in. They're just dating and they're having fun. They're getting to know each other. Are they? They're having good, solid Mormon fun. Except she wasn't Mormon. Except the fact that they were uh, actually mostly talking about their sexual balances. Yeah. Of course, they weren't having vaginal intercourse because that is not okay. Oh, I see. But they we're, were going. having all sorts of other kinds of sex. They were big fans of that Provo push, you know? Mm. Um, and they would exchange very raunchy texts and phone calls when they weren't together, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, and they, they struggled with that. And I think it's just, you know... That religious guilt was really was really hard for both of them because, you know, Jody doesn't just practice 
her part. She fully jumps in the deep end. She's really trying to be a Mormon. And so you see in her stream of consciousness, whenever they would have these, you know, sexual relations, she would feel guilty. He would feel guilty. They would feel really bad. So a few months into their relationship, Jody's like, I'm just going to jump in the deep end. She fully commits to Mormonism. He baptizes her in the temple, in the fancy underpants. <laughs> in the fancy underpants. Like, with his purity ring. His, well, they're called CTR rings. But, like, he baptizes her in front of the church elders. Yeah. And despite the heavy religious day, the two of them top off the evening by having official sex. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Penetration. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Vaginal intercourse. (laughs) It's just awkward. And how I I I don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, I think unfortunately for Travis, and I'm gonna speculate here a little bit, just warning you. I think this was kind of the beginning of the end for him. This is when he really went, oh shit. Jody was never meant to be my Mormon wife. She was supposed to be the sexy little thing I had on the side while I found a Mormon wife, while I found the thing I'm supposed to be doing. She was supposed to be the guilty pleasure, and now I've brought her in, and there's no excuse anymore. So I think that he realized because they had had sex, she could never be that for him. She had been baptized, but she was a bad influence on him or they were bad influences on each other. So the mindset, this is when we kind of really start to see Travis's relationship to women. It was not a great one. I can't. I don't care who you ask. It wasn't good, especially when he's actively searching for this. Maybe you can't be her husband because you had sex. I just. Right. But it's her fault. Not that he ever said that, but in the way that he consistently treats her and treats other women. I mean, that's the view. Right. That's the view. He's, you know, so anyway. Yeah. I just. Yeah. It's it's a tough conversation. I'm trying not to go on a tirade about it. Yeah. But like, you get my point. Right. So it was after this, a couple weeks later, they were on another road trip um, when Jody starts not like, I don't know if she was necessarily snooping, but she found some messages that he was, you know, exchanging with other girls on MySpace where he was, he was misbehaving. And um, they had a talk and they decided that Travis wasn't ready for a relationship. And so they broke things off. Their official dating time only lasted about five months. After that, they continued to have an on again, off again sexual relationship, but things just got crazier. Firstly, a couple of weeks after they broke up, Jody moved from California to Mesa. Wait, after they broke up? After they broke up. Why would she do that? Proximity, baby. Ugh. Okay. Just She just moved four miles from where Travis was living. She claims that this was really due to her faith, but... Oh, okay. If she wants to keep Travis, it's more convenient for her if she's closer. Oh, yeah. Travis wanted to have his cake and eat it, too. He wanted to keep his dirty little, you know, F buddy over Mm -hmm. to the side um, while he was trying to find his perfect Mormon wife. 
he and Jody were constantly sexting, calling, or meeting at friends' houses, meeting at his house, meeting at hotels to hook up. And unfortunately, Travis was kind of the only one who got this this is casual memo. He starts dating a girl named Lisa. You're going to hate this. Lisa was significantly younger. She was 18 to his 29. And of course, Lisa was Mormon. And they were really serious, but they did break up a time or two in their relationship. Part of the problem was that Lisa was very serious about her chastity vows. And Travis was, like, he was pushing, but he was respectful of her. He never, like, that's what you wanted. That's right. That's what you wanted. Right. And but, you know, it wasn't from what I gathered and from what she said, it was never like a he was pressuring her. It was more of he was saying this is something that I'm struggling with. And she's like, you have to hold out. And so they were they were struggling that he wanted to just go ahead and get married so that they could go to pound town. But she's like, I'm 18. I'm not ready. She's not going to be in a rush to get married. So maybe choose somebody your own age or closer. Yeah. So closer. In response, Travis, baby, not a baby. In response, Travis continues hooking up with Jody. So some of Jody's negative traits start showing now. In my opinion, Jody had decided that Travis was hers, and that they would end up together, regardless of what she thought. I think she, in her soul, she had just decided this, and she really began acting out. His friends kind of started to clue in a little bit, but not that they would do much about it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they didn't really. They said something maybe once or twice. You know, it's a point of contention for some people. Yeah. When the real estate market crashed, Travis was left with a home that he couldn't afford. So he ended up getting roommates to kind of help cover the cost. And they really uh, will come forward later with some interesting stories. And I'm going to tell you those stories right now. Jody was really possessive. Whenever she was over, she needed to be in Travis's lap or sitting right next to him. They were in near constant communication, despite the fact that Travis was actively dating Lisa. She would stalk his email, threaten girls that he was seeing with anonymous emails from other people, acting like she was yeah. somebody weird. She would call them names, throw scripture at them. She called Lisa a whore and like spouted scripture at her through some anonymous emails. And they just noticed that whenever Jody was around, something weird happened. <laughs> like something odd occurred every time she was there. Eventually, Jody slashed his tires twice. He slashed Lisa's tires at one point. She would break into his house. If the door was not unlocked, she would crawl through the doggy door. <laughs> what? Yep. And when she was there, she would shuffle through his things. One time, he came home and she was asleep in his bed, which, like, if you're dating, that could be cute if you're, like, allowed to be there. Yeah. But. Not so cute. Not so cute when you're crawling through the doggy door, bestie. And they figured this out because she would, like, A, she'd be like, yeah, you weren't here, so I just crawled through the doggy door and let myself in and I made you cookies. Or I made you a cake. She loved to bake for him. Like, it really came out because one time he was, I don't know if he was out of town or just at work or something, and he asked his friend to go let his dog out. He had a pug named Napoleon. And when his friend got there, she was like, she walked in the door and she's like, why does it smell like cookies in here? Sure enough, Jody's sitting on the couch. She's like, oh my gosh, I just made cookies. Do you want some? 
what are you doing here, psycho? <laughs> literally. Like, literally. What? Right. Because clearly, if he knew she was there, he wouldn't have asked Deanna to go yeah. let the dog out, you know? Yep. Wow. Simultaneously, at this point in her life, Jody reaches out to several friends and ex-boyfriends, and there are several written accounts of how poorly her mental health was at this point. Travis told her that she needed to be medicated. She wasn't doing well. Um, but, you know, especially in the Mormon faith, that's not super popular. And so for Travis to say it, he really meant it. And Jody really struggled with it. She's like, I'm not going to do that. At one point, her ex-boyfriend, Mac, tried to convince her to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital. He was like, you're not doing well. I'm worried you're going to hurt yourself. And she yeah. was like, no, I'm going to be fine. And she didn't. She didn't go. His roommates would catch her doing more weird things. Essentially, every time Travis would go to the bathroom, she would sneak outside the door and listen. And when he would flush, she would rush back to wherever she was, just like she never left. What What are you scared he's doing in the bathroom? I don't know, but I don't really know if I want to know what she was worried about. That's just really weird. I think that's a good time to notice if you have a red flag. If you get worried when your partner goes to the bathroom. I mean, when it's your partner and you're scared that he or she is doing something of course the bathroom is going to be a place that they have privacy to make a phone call text right do something like that but like you know that he's dating other people you know that right so it's just different right it i don't know to me i hmm not that he's not at fault for like he should have cut things off from her completely right and that's a that's a good segue but get the hint right like so we're gonna and that's you you took the words right out of my mouth like yes sometimes travis would get on her about her behavior but other times he would ignore it and jump right back into bed with her yeah he would actively reach out to her for sex and i'm not saying this to it's just the relationship was toxic. She acted out of line, but he rewarded it with yes. this constant reassurance of his sexual interest. And by Mormon standards, like, and even some regular people's standards, they weren't just having sex. They were having, like, nasty sex. <laughs> nasty. <laughs> they were having, like, very... I mean, it depends on who you ask. Everything's a yeah. spectrum. But, like, yeah. I think that it's safe to say that for very religious people, they were having very kinky sex. Yeah. And, you know, the guilt that comes along with that, it's just a vicious cycle for them. And they're not they're not compatible. Yeah. But she was acting cray cray. <laughs> right. Like she's slashing his tires. She's doing all this other stuff. I mean, and we're going to get into like a little bit more of a timeline here in a minute. But I'm just trying to give you a big picture of what his friends were witnessing. And. I also think this is a good time to mention that Jody and Travis only knew each other for like a year and a half. So yeah. everything happens really fast and it's hard to find definitive timelines as to when things, when specific events, like when the tire slashing happened and, right. you know, all of this other stuff. So if it kind of feels like things are happening out of order, it's because it all kind of happened at the same time or very close, or very yeah, close together. It's hard to, it's hard to yeah. kind of piece it. So I just want to make sure everybody's getting a good picture of yeah. The toxicity. So because they weren't exclusive, they were both seeing other people, in quotes. Okay. Travis was dating. He was trying to find somebody that he was serious about. 
Jody was just kind of going on dates with other men in the prepaid legal community and then making out with them and then telling them that they couldn't see each other anymore because she's like kind of with Travis. And she was hoping that by doing this, it would get back to Travis somehow and he would either like be jealous. I don't really know what her purpose was. I mean, that would be my guess. Right. That she's hoping that he hears that she's going on other dates and. Right. Then he's like, oh, no, I was wrong. Right. I want you all to myself. Right. Exactly. So and it's. no one else. It's a little bit messy. So. And again, Travis didn't care because he's fully convinced that once he finds his perfect wife, like Jody will just go away. I can totally handle Jody. She's fine. I don't think he can, Travis. Well, we wouldn't be here if he could. So. <laughs> I don't think he can. At some point, I have the dates written down for you a little later. But like I said, we're just going to kind of throw everything at you. Mm -hmm. At some point, Jody couldn't afford to live in Mesa, live where she was anymore. So she moved further away. She moved in with her grandparents to try and kind of keep things a little bit tighter financially. Okay. And you'll see why. Um, but they were still using their friend's house as like a sex stop to meet up all the time. And this house was owned by a couple. And they were some of Travis's friends. And they thought that the line that the, like, the relationship was really weird. And Skye, who was one of the couple, she just really was uncomfortable with Jody, And she really just, she had, she had enough at one point. I mean, who wants their house to be used as a sex stop? I don't know. <laughs> Not me, but. Especially if they're Mormons, too. Like. Yeah, everybody's Mormon. They're all Mormon. Like, they're not. Uh-huh. Gonna feel right about that. Right. Well, and when Jody received, in quotes, received an anonymous email from a secret stalker uh, that said basically, like, Travis isn't good enough for you and he's too far away to protect you from me, oh. Sky saw this immediately for what it was. She yeah. was like, no, she wrote that. She wrote yeah. that to try and get you to say, no, come move back to Mesa. I'll protect you. And it it didn't work. Like, Travis believed that the email was real, but he didn't say that because he didn't feel that way. Yeah. Now, if you ask Jody, he said that. But, like, you know. Yeah. So it was after another incident in the home where Skye and some of his friends sat him down and was like, hey, like, I don't think it was like a formal intervention or anything, but they were like, this is really creepy. And one of his friends even said, like, dude, I wouldn't be surprised if you were found chopped up in her freezer. And then they. Oh, no. Yep. And as soon as that phrase was uttered, they realized Jody was listening. Oh, God. So they quickly and very loudly changed the subject. Um, but then eventually they tried to pick up the conversation in a more private setting. Yeah. Also, when like it got really quiet. And they heard something and they opened the door and Jody was there listening again. So now there have been two times where she's heard them being like, dude, she's dangerous. And Skye put her foot down and was like, she's not allowed back here. Like, she can't come in the house. This is just not good anymore. Yeah. So that meant that Jody started driving to Travis's house unannounced. And got to get through that doggy door. She was again. getting through the doggy door. And at one point he was like, he's still dating Lisa on again, off again, like I said. And at one point they're like making out on the couch and Lisa like glances out from the corner of her eye and realizes that Jody is outside staring at them through the bushes, like in the front yard. 
I don't know. Mm. Yep. This makes me so uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. I want you to feel uncomfortable. You need to understand the escalation here was insane. Considering how short of a time frame this was, they went from like dating for five months to her being in the bushes outside his house. Like, and you'll see why. I'm going to explain why we got here. Like what drove her to this? I mean, there's no excuse, but like I'm just you'll get more context, I guess. Not drove her to violence, but just drove her to this level of obsession. At one point, she had a shirt made that said Travis Alexander's. And in the trial, the defense team is like, no, he had that shirt made and made her wear it. And his friends were like, no, he didn't. Because if he had that shirt made, it would say T-Dogs. <laughs> God. And I think that's true because they did all call him T-Dog. With a W, T-Dog. No. <laughs> uh, and I think that's true. If he had made that shirt, it would have said T-Dog. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not doubting yeah. that. He did not make the shirt. I yeah. just, I don't, I don't want to get too personal, but like everything about this. He's your worst nightmare. Makes my skin crawl. Yeah. So at some point in this, you know, last few months, we're talking like November to May of this year and a half, like the last six months of it. Things got a little messier between the two of them in in the sense of like interpersonally. It's just so complicated. Mm -hmm. Travis started paying her to clean his house and would regularly text her and be like, come clean my house. Just and if you do clean my layers. If, <laughs> exactly my point. It's just so just it gets so complicated. So messy. He would basically be like, come text, come clean my house and you'll get some like points and then we'll have sex. Like, yeah, it. And he's paying her to do this. And so... Lady, have some freaking self-respect. Oh, it just gets worse. Uh, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, and, like, it just... It's just a lot. So you can't say he was unclear with her what their relationship was, but he definitely was, like, using her enthusiasm to his own benefit kind of thing. Yes. That... Sorry. Off oh. the table. Yes, that... And this they're is both they're both it's right. it's very messy. It, both, oh, and like, it, it just he he's in the wrong for like continuing and oh that just brought it to a whole different level. Oh, it just gets worse. But like she absolutely I I wish yeah that right any women in that position take the hint. Like actions speak louder. Uh well just, and I hate this. Yeah. I hate it here. You're gonna hate it more. Okay. In January of 2008, we see her diary entries talking about sexually dressing up for Travis and role playing, which we will see later in court. This is kind of a regular thing for them. Their texts and emails are getting raunchier. It's clear that their sexual escapades are escalating in seriousness, and they're also actively loaning each other money to the point of they're draining their own bank accounts, going back and forth, giving each other cash. And Travis was doing well for himself, but this is during the recession. And so even the fact that he's doing well with prepaid legal, he's struggling to pay his mortgage. I, I think at this point, most of his roommates had either moved out or like were still living there, but kind of never there. And he was just really struggling to keep up with everything. And she's still waitressing and like she's making good money where she was working. She was I think she was working more than one job waitressing. But still, 
it's just putting a huge strain on their relationship. You see in her diary or her journal that they fight a lot more, that they're meaner to each other because they're loaning each other this money and because she's actively going over there to clean his house and blah, blah, blah. It's just so complicated. Yeah. And this is what I did not know about this case. I always thought that it was cut and dry, that they were clearly friends with benefits, they were just hooking up, and that she went off the deep end and blah, blah, blah. And while, yes, it is clear that they are not dating, it's clear to anybody who looks at it, you can clearly see what the situation was. It is so much more complicated than it looks. It still should never have ended the way it ended. Yeah. But it just makes it... Like this is why it's quality entertainment in the courtroom. This is why Nancy Grace talked about it every night. Like it's mm-hmm. just so barring all of that stress, Travis starts seeing a woman named Mimi, who, by all accounts, including what he told to Jody, Travis thought this was his person. This was his his perfect match, his soulmate, his future wife. Like the Mimi was it. And to get a little glimpse into what it's like to be in Jody's brain. Here is a snippet from a diary entry from February of 2008. It's kind of a long one, so bear with me, but I felt like Mm -hmm. it was a good example of what she thinks. Quote, well, speaking of Travis, he frustrates me and he thrills me. I love, love, love him. And he sings to me and goes out of his way, displays massive amounts of unconditional love for me in countless ways. I'm almost haunted by it. But it still remains I can't marry him. I can't put my finger on it, but something is just off with that boy. We've all got head problems, that's for sure. But there are certain things that will never sit right with me about him. For example, he always makes that ridiculous joke, families can be forever, why do you want to spend so much time with them now? I abhor that. I want a family man, a man who takes family seriously. I know he jokes, but that drives me crazy and it's a big turnoff. But he has told me time and time again, if he could marry me, it would mean he won the wife lottery. Smiley face. That's sweet, actually. I know I'll be an excellent wife. In fact, I really want that. I really want to be married. I want to have a companion. Travis is awesome, no doubt, but there's something that's always off. I know only what the spirit whispers to me, and he is not the one. Frowny face. I've spent over a year of my life cultivating a relationship with him. I certainly wasn't thrilled. No, I was devastated to find out he wasn't being faithful to me. I just don't get why men cheat. Bobby, Matt, Travis. Daryl was always faithful to my knowledge. He said he's never once had a problem with monogamy, and I believe him because I never had those awful intuitive feelings that his eyes, hearts, and hands were always wandering the way I did with the other three. It's a subtle feeling. It doesn't go away. It nags. It pulls at the solar plexus until it's justified through the discovery of ugly hidden truths. Infidelity is so awful and causes ridiculous pain. Each time the transgressor seemed grieved, I got hurt. Actually, not true. Travis seemed mildly remorseful, but that's it. I'm going to stop writing about this now. It is of no benefit, but I could just rip out the last few pages, but I'll refrain from doing that. The problem with Travis is that he's so used to girls falling all over themselves for him. And she, Mimi, doesn't do that. He needs that. I think he really does. So she love, love, loves him. But she knows he's not the one. Right. But she refers to it as cheating. Right. But you're... uh. I think she may have been talking about when they were dating, because he did cheat on her when they were dating. Okay. But it's just interesting, like, the way that she writes and the way that she talks 
yeah is very formal this is her diary and she's like but alas like but alas you know it's just her stream it's just interesting i feel like i really got a i, I read a lot of her journal entries because mm-hmm. it's kind of the only way you can get a timeline of things and it really puts you in her head and it's kind of terrifying i hate it here yeah <laughs> uh yeah so that's in the beginning of january i mean i'm sorry in the beginning of february okay middle february lisa and travis stop seeing each other she says it's too much of the slashing the tires her house alarm was being triggered the harassing emails it was just a lot and they were on again off again like they were serious for a little while but mostly they were just casually dating you know he yeah. didn't like she didn't consider it cheating that he was talking with mimi because it was just casual okay in mid-february we see this interaction on the 13th jody hey hon what's your et I know you're busy. Are there any errands I could get done for you? Bank, PO, dry cleaning. Travis. Why, yes, actually. I am still horny. Smiley face. Jody. Travis, you are so wonderful. Thank you for everything you do for me. You have been a huge blessing in my life. Jody. Anyway, housekeeping tomorrow at 10 or 11. This interaction changed the way I thought about how Jody viewed them. She's self-aware, but she's also treating their relationship like it's a marriage. Yeah. She's like, I'll run errands for you. I'll bake you a cake. I'll clean your house. I will have sex with you. I will. Well, even her journal entry to me is very conflicting because right. she talks about it. It's as if like, oh, we've had this relationship and I love him, but I know he's not the one. And I know he views this other girl as the one. Right. But then she goes back in again about loving him and right. It, it's very. It is. And I think all over the place. I think it's just a testament to her mental state. Like, yeah, she was not in a normal mindset. And I don't think she ever was like, to be clear. I don't think well, that this yeah. is like an induced thing. I think this is something she struggles with, with all of her relationships. But. Yeah, it just gets intense. And especially when you take into account that they were lending each other money, that they were constantly talking, that, yeah, you know. I, I also feel like I should mention that Jody isn't the only woman that he was casually sleeping with. Like, he had at least two other women that we know of he was casually hooking up with. And Jody knew this. She knew she was not the only one. She was the only one who cleaned his house and picked up his dry cleaning. And they, like, swapped cars back and forth like a married couple would do and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. He Maybe. was very clear with her what their relationship was, and he was just happened to get other things out of it. Yeah, I was going to say maybe that's why she agreed to do all those other things was because she felt it put her mm-hmm. in a higher place of importance in right. his life than I'm, I'm giving him more than just sex. Right. I could be his wife. He'll see it one day. Ugh. Right. So that's in February. April 2nd, Jody moves back to Recca, California, where she was originally living. Okay. She can't afford to stay here. She had moved a little further away, which is why they were still like meeting Sounds places. Weird to say that somebody can't afford to stay in another state and they move back to California. I know. Well, she <laughs> moved in with her grandparents. So oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
Travis had been invited and approved to go on a prepaid legal cruise to Cancun, Mexico. Cancun in Mexico? (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. I did know that. I just got nervous. (laughs) Okay. Congrats. You've been successful at the pyramid scheme. Let's go celebrate. He was allowed to bring a guest. And he originally had asked Jody. But then he asked Mimi, and she actually said yes. So rather than be honest with Jody, he told her, actually, I'm just going to go alone. So that's my dude. My dude. She's basically stalking you 24 7. Um, yep. So she's going to find out. <laughs> uh, May 10th, Jody and Travis have very raunchy phone sex, and Jody records it without Travis's knowledge. On May 15th, Mimi tells Travis, look, I just see you as a friend. Like, I just don't, I just don't think you're husband material for me. Like, sorry, I just don't see you that way. it's because your body count is too high. (laughs) Like, it's just, she was, they were just different. And like, she thought he was awkward and he thought it was like tension. And she was just (laughs) like, this is awkward. And he's like. Oh, the it's tension. Just we just love each other. Tension. Not sexual tension, because this is his oh, perfect sorry. hormone wife. Yes, that's true. This is love tension. Oh. Like, he talked about, like, they had a hug when he dropped her off one time in the porch. And she was just like, yeah, it can be awkward, isn't it? And he's just like, yeah, it can be. <laughs> just the, the differences were drastic. But like Jody kind of said, he's used to women, like, falling over him. And so the... Yeah. The difference, I think, was enticing for him. Yes. So, anyway. He's, like, not convinced. He's like, yeah, she'll come around. She'll come around. Like, he's determined. Meanwhile. The irony here. I know. I know. He's not, like, pushing on her. They're still, like, he's, no, he's I mean, being he's respectful. Not, he's not, you know. He's not going to be disrespectful he's not of his future wife in the place that Jody is. So he's not turning into a stalker, like pushy. Right. But, but still the irony of like, it's a great example of, yeah, just because he was acting a fool and was treating her badly sometimes doesn't mean that it was an excuse for what she does. Oh yeah. I don't ever want it to feel like that. I just want to be sure that we are clear. I just meant the feelings. I know. Yeah. I'm with you. The same time he's dealing with this with Mimi, he and Jody are messaging with each other again because they were always talking. And their messages gave me straight up whiplash. They were so flirty one minute. They were sexting another minute. And then they were calling each other horrific names and being so mean. He called her a whore, compared her to Hitler, said she was a liar. They were just so volatile with each other. And how do you compare... In that context, how do you compare somebody he to said Hitler? That, he said that her conscience was a lot like Hitler. Like, something like that. Like, he was basically saying, like, you don't have a conscience. You'll do whatever it is. You don't care. I don't know. It doesn't okay. make sense. It didn't make sense in his text. I'm not going to yeah. try and make it make sense. Yeah. So, it's just, I just, the juxtaposition of how he's handling Mimi versus what he's dealing with with Jody. And like his one of his mentors had said you need to cut that off and he's just like I can't. Why? Cuz he wants to get it wet. He's obsessed with sex. I mean, yeah. he's 
he has other girls too. It's not just Jody. Yeah, but she's but she's she, she's willing to do anything. Right. And I think that their sex was um the nastiest of the sex he was getting. Yeah. And we'll talk about that on next week's episode. Um, on May twenty eighth, two thousand eight, police arrive at the Arius home, which had apparently been burgled. Burgled. It had been burgled. They were missing thirty dollars in cash, a twenty five caliber pistol, and various other items. Well, that'll cause quite a kerfuffle. Despite the fact that there were other valuables in the home and plenty more guns, the only thing that the burglars took were they took four things, and two of them were. $30 in cash and the 25 Left all the other guns. There were like 10 other guns. Hmm. Also on May 28th, Jody asked Daryl for some gas cans because she's going to drive to Mesa, but gas is cheaper in California, so she wants to stock up. I'm sure that's why. Uh, that is why she was going to go to Mesa. <laughs> no, I meant about the oh, reason. Oh, for- yeah. Yeah. Right. Sure, it had nothing to do with not wanting to be seen at gas stations. Nothing to do with not wanting receipts. Yeah. On the 29th, Jody tells a man named Ryan that she's coming to see him. So Jody had met Ryan at a prepaid legal conference and they had been casually talking. It was kind of weird for her to go all the way to see him. On June 2nd, Jody rents a car and Travis's friends don't hear from him for five days, which is really weird. Because they're trying to coordinate this Cancun trip. Eventually, they show up to his house. And I think it was Mimi or Lisa. I'm not sure which. I'm pretty sure it was Mimi. Knocked on the door. She got no answer. And eventually called some of their other friends. When they made entrance into the home, they started poking around. And when she heard one of their crew mention seeing blood, she stopped looking. And that was a good choice. Because his friends found a crumpled and slaughtered Travis Alexander. And that's where we're going to leave part one. I hope you feel as brain mushy as I felt trying to piece this this timeline together of their chaos. I feel gross. I feel like I need a shower. Right. Is it not just so messy? It's just or like I need to hit things. It's just I don't so know. ridiculous. I don't know. I have a it, lot of mixed feelings. So many feelings. and. <laughs> It's just, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's. Any questions? I feel like I need to run. I also feel like that. <laughs> I know that the timelines can be confusing. So if you have any questions, please let me know. Yeah, um, no, you can I mean, DM to me, us. It, but to me, I, again, I don't want to get too personal. <laughs> oh, no, what? I'm curious. So I um, did date somebody. Who had a Jody? Okay, and to the point that I started having nightmares that I was going to get killed. Right, and that's kind and of where Lisa was. That's kind of when I ended things. Yep. Um. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think anybody who's known somebody who's been in a situation like this knows, like the confusion and the chaos and the. Well, because I had that situation. Mm-hmm. That's why I can see both so easily. I'm not right. going to blame one or the other. They both did that, like, because that's exactly what happened. That's right. exactly what happened. Was it he was to blame too? Yes, she was acting crazy, and it was uncalled for. 
to my knowledge, he is still alive. I was going to say, <laughs> um, but did she kill him? I don't think so. She did not kill him. She's not that crazy. Cray cray. But, you know, that's why, like, what Travis did was just as frustrating to me yeah. as what Jody was doing because I'm like, yes, yeah, she's crazy, but you should cut this off. Like, you need a firm right. boundary and you're not doing that. Right. You continue to pull her, pull those strings. Right. And what a mess. Can you just uh, can you just imagine being like one of their friends in the friend group who's not there all the time and you're talking to your other friend and like, oh, well, how's how's Travis and Jody? And she's like, oh, my gosh. Well, guess what? So she slashes tires. OK, but wait, before she slashes tires, she um stood outside in the bushes. But wait, like I like in between there, she that was the thing that got me. That's that was the thing because that happened. The bushes, to me. the bushes. Oh. It was like the front porch and the and the window. Oh my god! And the bushes, yeah. That's terrifying. I wasn't making out with him at the time, but we were hanging out, listening to music, and he started trying to get me to dance. And then she messaged or did something. Somehow she let us know by stating the specific song we were listening <gasps> to. And she's like, oh, you like to dance to that song? And I'm like, what? The, what? What? That's so scary. Yeah, because we didn't catch her in the act. She was there and we had no idea. <gasps> yeah. It oh, was my God. Creepy. That's terrifying. That's somehow yeah. worse than catching her. Yeah. Fortunately, I got out of that situation. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Yikes, man. I just the the chaos of it and just to be a fly on the wall and to try and keep up with it. And. Oh, yeah. In the end, though, I do just I know I've said this a million times. I just never want to be disrespectful to his family who did not deserve to have. Oh, you know, yeah. and his friends who didn't deserve None to have their friend taken away like that. Yes. I learned so much about this case that I didn't know. I hope you guys learned something that you didn't know. I learned a lot. Mm hmm. That I didn't know about this case. Yeah. But in general, I knew about life. <laughs> well, next week we will hear all about, unfortunately, we will hear about the death of, of Travis and what happened. We will also hear uh, Jody's many stories. And, you know, we won't hear what the jurors hear, which was uh, Jody Arias faking an orgasm on the stand. Like, they not on the stand, but like they heard it in the courtroom. So I'm going to leave you with that <laughs> and we will talk about it next week. Yes. Oh, for a long time listeners, though, just so you know, I in particular am taking a little vacation. Yes. So it's going to be two parts. But instead of releasing on Monday, like we usually do, it'll be just Thursday and Thursday. Yes. Because normally when we do two parts, we do Thursday, and Monday. So you don't have to wait a full week. But in order to allow Alicia and for me to be sick, <laughs> we are going <laughs> to split it up. Yes. So have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.